Welcome to the future. It's the end of work as we know it. Technology has made work awesome, and the happiness quotient of every worker is at an all-time high. In this podcast, we unbox opinions and sentiments of thought leaders who help draw a virtual blueprint of what the future of work will look like, where AI and humans complement each other. Here's your host, VJ, welcoming you to the Unboxing Future of Work podcast. Good morning, all of you. I have today with me Shail Kiara, who is an executive and thought leader who has spent the last half decade in building the internet automation market. As somewhat, I would call him an unicorn in the internet automation and digital transformation industry. He has served as a CMO and chief customer officer at three leading automation firms, helping shape the industry. Currently, he is an executive in residence at a leading venture firm in Sincal Valley. He continues to invest, write about disruptive automation technologies while helping organizations in their automation journey. Shail, welcome to my inaugural podcast episode of Unboxing Future of Work. Very excited to have you today. Uh, Vijay, thank you for this opportunity to kick off the first in what will be an exciting series of unboxing the future of work. Thank you for having me here today. It's a pleasure, man. Uh, Shal, before we get started and unbox one of the most talked about technology today, AI and automation, can you give a bit background about yourself, where you're from, your schooling, career? Yeah, happy to do that. Um, I'm a global citizen. I've lived in you know four countries, worked in ten with some of the world's leading brands in enterprise software uh, market sectors, including storage, security, HR, SaaS, automation. I was um, born in Bombay, India, now called Mumbai, and have lived in various parts of the world before moving to the U.S. many years ago and did my education in engineering and uh, an MBA on the East Coast and have transformed from um, designing buildings and bridges, which is what I used to do, to storytelling and marketing and becoming a, a GM and a chief executives. And I think you've described my last half decade uh, well here. Uh, which has been followed by a, a long career of building tech companies. That's amazing. Being from Mumbai, being a global citizen, you know, such a varied background and experience. And now, you know, I think you have one of the only world's, you know, status being a unicorn working with Automation Anywhere, Blue Prism, UiPath, the top three leading firms. I don't think I could recollect anybody who has done that in a C-level position shaping the industry. And very, very excited to have you. And I'm sure audience are going to get a lot from you. In next 10 minutes, some, you know, we have put some really interesting questions, discussions for, you know, uh, to take your inputs and share your experiences in this industry. So let me start off with very first question. In the future of work, when you look at from 10 years ago, you know, where we stand and where we stand, you know, in 2020 and 2021, especially after pandemic, technologies like AI, automation, blockchain, all these are becoming mainstream along with cloud. What do you think, where is the future, you know, after pandemic, where is it going? And what do you see in next three years happening? And how is this, these technologies shaping up the the world in, in general, and especially enterprises, you know, the way that they will work going forward? Yeah, that's an interesting question, uh, Vijay. It um, certainly requires a, a crystal ball of thinking of where we see work going um, over the next half decade or so. You know, if we compare it to 10 years ago, 10 years ago would be 2011, and that's when HR SaaS was crossing the chasm and becoming mainstream. I remember it well, I was the chief marketing officer at Taleo and we were talking about talent intelligence, the ability to have a platform 
uh, to know your people and grow your business, um, which was a tagline before you know, we got acquired by Oracle in 2012. iPhone was just four years old, 10 years ago. You know, compute, storage, network were converging. And a company called Nutanix was born. Uh, Hadoop was showing incredible promise in cloud era. Uh, had had adopted it was about you know three to four years old then ten years ago. Um, amidst uh, this, you know, we're um, a company called uh, Tethys Solutions renamed itself to Automation Anywhere ten years ago. Blue Prism was uh, about a decade old uh, ten years ago, and RPA was uh, not mainstream, just coined at that time. So how different is work from uh, 10 years ago? Well, I think with the pace of uh, tech evolution that we've seen, it has increased massively. Um, but I don't see a massive difference in how work was being done 10 years ago. In the last year alone, that has completely changed uh, with the pandemic. But the concept of work as we define it is still the same in the automation era. Where our hiring approach is still the same, roles are more or less uh, still the same. Innovation over the last ten years has been exemplary, but in my humble opinion, has been focused on disruption to cause accidents versus disruption to innovate. And what I mean by that is, you see an emergence of solutions, disruptive solutions that tend to overlap each other. You certainly see it in the automation space uh, where feature functionality differentiation is a, a challenge. Or you look at the marketing automation stack of 8,500 companies that exist in that stack uh, today. As I was saying, this last one year has certainly changed the way we work. And I see more of a need to bring things together uh, rather than uh, best of breed, uh, multiple best of breed uh, solutions out there. You know, we go through these cycles of innovation every decade or so, and I see the emergence of platforms that brings the best of breed solutions together, where you have one dashboard as an employee to do my work versus dozens of tools. You know, I also see roles emerging like uh, chief digital officer, which is more mainstream now than it was 10 years ago, chief customer officer roles, which is mainstream, or chief growth officer roles that are coming up. And I feel that you know the the bravado that is exhibited in markets at times, exhibited as boldness, will disappear, and we'll start to see true bold moves like Apple or Nike or Dove have done in the recent past to revive their brands. Right? And these bold moves are about stating a purpose of the company. So a renewed focus on purpose, empathy convergence of solutions are, are trends that I see over the next half decade. Amazing. Coming from Teleo to, which is a, one of the leading talent management solution uh, to, uh, you know, now in the automation space, it looks like a full circle where you are coming to, you know, empathy purpose, uh, which is very human centric in nature. And uh, I think automation taking a personified uh, human centric approach and, you know, taking next three, five years is all about uh, bringing those core factors into the mainstream, not just looking at the technology and tools. So um, today's focus uh, is about unboxing intelligent automation or sometimes also called as digital workforce. Can you a little bit talk about being a veteran who has seen this industry uh, from its infancy to you know going through its own hype cycle, adoption cycle, 
you know, if you're talking to a CXO who is a CFO or a CIO or a, you know, who are a head of a shared services or contact center, if they have to start and scale their intelligent automation journey, who have actually started their robotic automation journey, uh, you know, five years or maybe 10 years down the line, now with the advent of AI becoming mainstream and internet automation becoming the focus area, you know, how do you really, a CXO would unbox, you know, intelligent automation in their enterprise? What, what are the, some of the key aspects a CXO would think about, uh, you know, starting and scaling intelligent automation journey in their organization? I think the fundamental um, promise of automation was to connect legacy and modern systems that don't talk to each other. And I think that promise is getting diluted in the enterprise automation market as it has evolved to become a collection of multiple different uh, technologies that are not integrated and sort of make up the uh, concept of, and I call it a concept opposed to a, uh, a technology, the concept of hi hyper automation. Uh, so many of these technologies are much like uh, the monster in the movie. We now have a Frankenstack of tech that CXOs wrestle with, where the risk of integration and automation as a whole falls on the customer uh, itself, themselves. And as a CXO in an organization, you know you want to focus on how automation is going to drive value and how automation is going to be accepted in your organization. That sort of seesaw of value and expectations inside an organization are so critically important that you can't avoid you know, focusing on them uh, together. Change management is a critical aspect of driving automation success in your organization. So there are multiple measures of success and we have moved from FTE reduction in automation to derivative metrics. I think there are several sets of technologies that come together, low code, no code, IBPM capabilities, you know, microservices, integrating process mining, chatbots, AI, ML, uh, IDP, which is intelligent document processing, all in one platform uh, to provide a UI-based automation or API integration through one single solution is certainly the path that I'm seeing many customers aspire towards. And this approach can uh, significantly reduce the total cost of ownership and in fact allows organizations to build flexible hyper apps that are allowing them to accelerate their innovation. I see that CXOs have a very interesting opportunity ahead of them and considering these multiple tools that are available as opposed to just making RPA the center of the universe. Exactly. And I think that brings us to our next you know, point about where do you see robotic process automation evolving in the fast growing intelligent automation space, right? When, when you, you talked about CXOs first taking a leap and you talked about a cohesive set of technologies, you can call it them as a cognitive full stack, if I can say that, bringing a combination of ability to engage, ability to extract and look at documents and extract data, ability to, and also do the work, actions, automate the actions. If you can bring all that into a cohesive cognitive full stack, where do you see RPA 
fitting in. And you already mentioned about Alfie is definitely not the center of it, but it, it seems to be so for most of the CXOs today, because that's where they start the journey. So what, what's your view about where RFA is going to come in in this whole space and how CXOs should look at intelligent automation from a different lens, not just from an RPA's uh, point of view? See, I think there is a broad awareness of RPA in the market. Uh, it is valuable technology. There is no doubt about it. And I think many CXOs are familiar with it uh, and or using it inside of their organization. But if you look at the adoption and you look at the fast pace of innovation around other technologies that I mentioned earlier, the unit economics of RPA indicate a, a move down the commodity path. You look at the price disruption caused by Microsoft, you know, the bundling of RPA with SAP products, the outcome-based pricing efforts by various system integrators. You look at the experimentation and usage-based pricing, uh, the average deal size in the market, uh, which is still fairly low compared to enterprise software deals. Uh, you look at the adoption of uh, RPA within an organization, which is far from a bot for every person. 85% of the customers still have less than five bots. And many of these customers have more than five employees. So when you look at all of that, it makes you wonder about the move of RPA down a commodity path and higher order solution that is required by the customer in order to, to make their automation successful. And native automation built with various technologies on a single platform, adding more value to the organization versus RPA as a standalone. Uh, so I see a future where RPA is, is one component of a much larger stack. Absolutely. And, and uh, it comes with its own benefits about time and cost, but at the same time, it has its own limitations. When you're it looking does. at it from the, exactly. And it, when you look at the, overall intelligent automation value framework, I'm sure it, it's one of the key component, but there are, there's so much around AI and microservices, APIs and low code that actually is going to become much more gluing all this together, right? Great, great inputs. Absolutely. So um, that brings us to the topic that why or what not to do, you know, when you're actually starting and scaling your intelligent automation journey. What, are, what could be the top three things that you don't heed to the myths or hypes of the automation that people talk about, you know, FTEs, about number of bots. There are so many highly talked about myths and hypes, but what I would like to take a little bit different perspective out of, out of you is what are the top three things CXO should not be doing when you're actually starting your scaling your internet automation journey? And if you have a view about it, I'm sure you're talking to a lot of CXOs. They must be sharing so many experiences, learnings. And if you can bring some of those in terms of what are the top three things you should not be doing? Well, I would say, you know, start when you're embarking on your automation journey or any new disruptive technology journey, uh, start with the people. You know, the common myth about RPA is fueled by a fear of losing livelihoods, that RPA will replace jobs. And there's a lot of press around automation reducing jobs, but RPA is not meant to replace the human workforce, but it's, it's meant to complement it. Essentially what it does, it gives you the arms and the legs. It doesn't give you the thinking, which is where AI comes in, but it certainly gives you the arms and legs. So from a CXO perspective, uh, you asked about what should, what should they be thinking about? What should they not be doing? I would say that, you know, don't underestimate the cultural transformation that is required in your organization. Don't let the, the exciting nature, the early exciting nature of doing automation 
be considered as a, uh, a ticket to have adoption inside your organization. You need to drive concentrated cultural change inside of your organization to help people understand what the bots can do and what they cannot do, because there, there is clearly a distinction of many things that cannot be done through RPA. And it's important to drive that cultural change in the organization to give the comfort and drive what I call the automation emotion inside the organization to be positive. If the automation emotion in the organization is not positive, it's very likely that your automation program could fail. And it all starts with people and cultural transformation. So that's, that's one thing. I would say the other is that there is a common myth that, you know, RPA can do for business what cloud did for IT. Uh, as a systematic push to make RPA the center of the universe and everything around it labeled as uh, hyper automation. Uh, it's very comical um, because the, these are collection of technologies that are not integrated with each other. So as a CXO, understand the risk profile of connecting RPA with process mining, chatbots, machine learning, AI, intelligent document processing, and where does that risk lie? In most instances in the market, the risk lies with the customer. The risk of making the automation successful, deriving the metrics from the automation, as well as integrating this set of automation technologies. So uh, it's important for CXOs to understand that risk and understand where it lies uh, and, and figure out if there's a shared risk dynamic uh, with, with yourself and the vendor. Uh, I think that the other prevailing myth is that RPA is easy. You know, if you're considering doing automation in the right manner that it scales, it requires a COE, which requires a center of excellence, which requires you know, hiring talent, training them. Uh, it requires a change management program that I mentioned, uh, a clear path to defining and increasing your automation value and having the ability to orchestrate RPA with other needed automation technologies. It's not just about a, building a bot and releasing it inside your organization. Maybe so if you're you know, just doing uh, task automation. So really understanding the convergence of um, these automation technologies is, is critically important. And in my humble opinion, an RPA-centric architecture uh, and complete reliance on an RPA-centric architecture uh, may not get you there. So that's another aspect of uh, really understanding what does it take to make automation successful? Uh, the prevailing myth that it's just easy, build a bot, release it, needs to be examined. Absolutely, if I can summarize, um, so the first one is about don't ignore people, right? Always uh, think people first when you're embarking on the journey. Second, there is a risk, inherent risk involved in bringing a set of technologies together in an intelligent automation journey and factor in that risk, share that risk and have right partners and approach, right? And don't ignore the risk. Then the third one is about if you're trying to bring all these technologies together, uh, it's not going to be easy. So don't think it's easy. It's going to be uh, a serious enterprise technology. You've got to have a serious approach to it, Well, you can form a center of excellence team, you can form a, uh, a core team, business and IT bring them together. Don't think it's just one more small tool for a small team. It, it's an enterprise grade technology and um, you know, you've got to take it that way and plan for it and you know, build the business and technology and infrastructure around that. If I can summarize into these three, uh, I think that they should not be doing. I think you summarized it very well. Great. So now, now the fun part, Shell. So 
Well, there is a fun part. Okay. <laughs> we don't want to keep it really serious. This is this is for, for serious folks, but you know, uh, you you bring so much. I, um, I I can talk about intelligent automation all day and night, but I'm interested <laughs> in the fun parts as well. So. Yeah, you bring so much diverse experience, and being from Mumbai, I can really relate to where you were from and where you've gone, and you know the way, the kind of industry you've been pioneering. It's it's amazing to see it. So, uh, actually, if you can talk about one leader or boss who you were really inspired with, and you learned a lot from him or her, who would that be? If you look at my background, Vijay, as I was describing earlier. Um, as you know, I've worked in multiple industries and I've transitioned from what I was trained to do many years ago in building bridges and structures to marketing and running tech companies. I am a big believer that learning can come from anywhere. Uh, it can come from uh, your boss. It can come from a colleague. It can come from someone in the boiler room, someone in the field. It can come from your customer, your partner, your investor. And I've had the blessing of learning from various people. Uh, and what is exciting for me is really collating all those learnings and experiences and asking the right questions and, and solving problems. So I don't have one individual that I can uh, share with you that I've learned a lot um, at work. Uh, it has really been a collection of learnings uh, from various folks. And if you keep an open mind and a learning mindset, every moment is a learning experience. So you're saying everybody that you work with, you learn something good or bad. I am saying that, yes. <laughs> cool. Okay, um, so this is our inaugural um, podcast episode. And who would you suggest or who do you follow or who do you see as a peer being a thought leader in this industry? Should I invite here for my next episode? That is a tough one. There are several out there. Um, there are influencers with funny insights like Ralph. There are influencers with no-nonsense insights like Phil. There are leading thinkers like Francis Ian, Pascal, Oliver. Uh, there are several, yeah, and that's that's what makes it exciting. Yeah, I think I think they are. They all have different perspectives and trying to shape this industry in their own ways. I'm sure, you know, you're doing it in your own way. Uh, so now let's get to the rapid. Five. Are you ready for the rapid fire? Uh, I think so. I don't know what you're going to ask me, but I'm ready. I'll, I'll keep it simple for you. So favorite book? Favorite book. Uh, there are two, actually, that I'm in the process of uh, going through the moment. One that I'm rereading. Uh, one is called Thinking in Bets. This is by Annie Duke. Uh, it's uh, all about making smart decisions when you don't have all the facts. It's based on this uh, <clears throat> notion that life is poker, not chess. And the other interesting book, which I'm rereading, is Narrative Economics by Robert Schiller. Uh, Robert Schiller was uh, one of my professors uh, years ago. And um, he was the one who predicted the, the housing crisis in, in the U.S. And this book, Narrative Economics, is about how stories drive economic events and the power of viral stories. RPA is one example of it that we just talked about. Amazing. So you just shared me two book goals now. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, what's your personal app that you like or you spend the most of time on your mobile? Uh, Evernote. I, I find it very easy to uh, track things, search for things, keep, it, keep everything in one place. And then, of course, the app that we're on, Zoom. <laughs> yeah, everybody's favorite nowadays. Everybody's favorite. Yeah, and and uh, I, I do keep Google Keep, and uh, 
I think Microsoft Teams is catching up too. So we'll see that it's it's a tough competition in the in the conferencing space now. What what was the first one? Google Keep. Keep. Yeah, Google Keep. It's um it's Google's Notes, uh, but it works okay. across the devices, and, and okay. pretty much our note kind of experience. Okay. Then the next one, what is the work app? I think you mentioned about it. Uh, if it's not Zoom, what is the professional app that you use a lot? I mean, or uh, it could be any service in the finance space, in bank, or it could be... A you know, the feature. app that I use the most, you can call it a professional app, a personal app, is is Audible. And I think most of the audience probably will. And um, I use Audible... Uh, a significant amount. In fact, it allows me to read two, three books or listen to two, three books at the same time, which is exciting. Yeah, absolutely. And the interesting part about Audible is you keep saying you read the books while you're hearing the books. That's what confuses me. And people haven't started saying, yes, I'm hearing books. I'm not reading books <laughs> yet. <laughs> that, that, is, that is very much true. Yes. Cool. So uh, that's great, Shell. Thanks very much. I think you know there are great insights for uh, different, uh, you know, audience here, people and the CXOs who are starting unboxing their intelligent automation journey and the business leaders, how to start and scale their journeys, what take, what to do, what not to do. So one last final advice for the, for the millennials or the Gen Z uh, who are actually now, uh, you know, picking in their careers or, you know, joining the next generation workforce. You know, what would be your advice and how the future of work for them would be? And, you know, what are the one or two key skills that they should be focusing on? If you can, you know, coming from internet automation uh, industry, being a thought leader, what would be your advice to these uh, next generation uh, youngsters who are joining the workforce? I would say, you know, always be learning. Life is poker, not chess. So <laughs> innovation and life take nonlinear paths often. Have fun at what you're doing. These are these are the three that I would uh, highlight as the top ones. So here it comes from Shell Kiara. Life is poker, guys. Thank you very much, Shell. Thanks for being my inaugural host. It was fun. Great to having you today. Vijay, thank you for having me here and all the best. I think it's going to be an incredible series that you're embarking on. Absolutely. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to this episode of Unboxing Future of Work. And we hope you will join us again for the next episode.